So, up until this point, we have been studying the Burda of Imam al-Busiri. For anyone who's new, brief overview. The Burda of Imam al-Busiri is the most famous poem in all of Muslim history, praising the Prophet uh, Imam al-Busiri lived in Egypt. He's buried in the hills. Uh, wait, no, he's not. He's in Iskandariya, uh, I believe. Yeah, he's in Iskandariya along with his teacher, Ibn Abbas and Mursi, uh, Ibn al is the one I was thinking about. He's in the hills of Wattam, like the bottom part of it. Um, we're in like almost the middle of the book. We're in the chapter on the Prophet's birth, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I think what I said in the beginning kind of ties into the point here, which is that we learn about the life of the Prophet وسلم, but we want to also teach ourselves how to love him. And we teach ourselves how to love him by having an open heart when we learn about him and uh, by remembering him. So, you know, when you study the various sciences and Islamic studies, the authors will usually have some sort of introduction about which uh, the sharaf of the science, sharaf of that particular knowledge, the, the honor of that knowledge. And one of the things they'll often say in uh, the study of the hadith in particular and about the Prophet is that it is the most honorable of study because it is connected to the most honorable of Allah's creation, which is the Prophet And also it has the added benefit of when you study about the Prophet then every time you mention his name, you say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that saying of Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is a great act of worship. And so the person is, this is part of how when we're learning about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, how do we keep our heart engaged in it? Is to actually say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Some of the scholars, they said one of the, one of the benefits of saying Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or Allahumma Salli Ala Sayyidina Muhammad is that um, it combines between the two sides of the shahada. Because if the shahada is la ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa And if you say, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, who are you asking? You're asking Allah. So you, that's the first half of the shahada. And then of course you're praying for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So that's the second half of the shahada. And uh, they also said about salawat that one of the reasons why it's one of the best types of dhikr is because it's a dua that Allah will answer. With some du'as, you can ask whatever you want to ask. Allah might answer, He might not, He might delay it, He, might, he has His own hikmah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and how He deals with that. But when we pray for the Prophet then Allah answers that du'a. And that's why one of the etiquettes of du'a is to start by praising Allah, and then to pray for the Prophet and then to ask for whatever we're going to ask for, and then to finish by praying for the Prophet you sandwich it, you know, like they say, they give you that famous business advice, right? That if you have to give advice to your someone you're working with, then you sandwich your advice between two positive things. So you come to them and you give them some nice positive stuff. I really appreciate the way you've been doing this. Like, but if I might be able to give you, then you give them the little nasiha. Then afterwards you praise them again. So you sandwich your thing between two pieces of praise and inshallah it takes the edge off of it, right? 
So when we make dua, we, we make our dua in between praying for the Prophet uh, we're going to kind of go through this section quickly on the Prophet's birth because basically this section just um, details miracles that happened when the Prophet was born. And so there's not, with most things, you could either do very little commentary or you could do really expansive commentary. So we're going to go for very little in this case. And if you want to read more, you can buy the book, The Mainstay, The Mainstay, the Najibah's commentary. So he says, Rahim <laughs> كأن بالنار ما بالماء من بلل وزنا وبالماء ما بالنار من ضرب رضي الله تعالى This could be translated as That night, the night of the birth of the Prophet The throne room of Khusro became cracked And Khusro's people too crumbled never to be restored The sacred fire, grief-stricken, breathed its last and the river dried up out of worry. Sawa was saddened by its lake drying up. The thirsty who went to drink there came back in a rage. As if the fire from sorrow took on the water's wetness and water assumed the fire's quality of lazy. So, mashallah, welcome Uncle Charlie. It's good to see you. We should, I have to show you, everyone who's here, inshallah, you'll come visit us one time in California and be able to see his outside people. So, can you see them? Hey, like that. Inshallah, inshallah. Yeah. Uncle Charlie's dedicated. It's all the way on the East Coast and he's been really regular, mashallah, in the last uh, period since he's been in COVID. So, happy to see you, mashallah. And your COVID beard is looking great. <laughs> All right, so the night the, that night the throne of Khusro became cracked, and his people also became cracked. So Khusro is the leader of the Persians. So it's saying that the, the throne room of the Persians, the pillars, it said that the pillars of that room they cracked when the Prophet was born. And also that empire became cracked. And there's some drama that happened, and eventually we know that the companions the time of the Prophet and afterwards that there was eventually the lands of Persia were conquered. Uh, and then also there's uh, the fire. There's, you know, they say that the fire went out there, uh, fire that they tried to keep alive. And the, there's a river that dried up and a, a lake that dried up. And the thirsty were like, where did this water go? And uh, so it says it's like the fire went out because it was having, it took on the water's wetness and the water went out because it took on the fire's blazing. It was just a play on words. Uh, the big thing here, one of the things to note, he says in the commentary, 
What made these signs so astounding was their unprecedented nature. One of these signs is the shaking and splitting of their palace. Uh, they used to say that the palace was so built, so well built that nothing could topple it except the trumpet on the day of judgment. And uh, I think the main, the main lesson to kind of think about here for ourselves is to beware of making claims, to beware of making claims. Uh, people of spirituality always say this, that beware of the maker of claims. And this is very, very common now. You know? um, people are like, so what do you do in the medjlis? You know? We just like pray and worship along read some books. That's what we do, right? Like, we're not going to give this huge marketing spiel, like, mashallah, we do this and we do that, and these things happen, and you should have seen the people, the people were incredible, and this and this and no. Beware, beware the maker of claims. People make too many claims. Uh, I really shouldn't say this, but I will, because it's that gross to me. For example, how to, we're going to have a seminar on how to give someone shahada in 10 minutes. And to me, you're going to give someone shahada in 10 minutes. Like, what kind of claim is this? I'm going to give you this knowledge. And all of a sudden, now you'll be able to give people shahada in 10 minutes. Even someone who comes and they say, mashallah, I converted 30 people. No, you converted zero people. <laughs> Allah guided 30 people to Islam. And you had the honor of being the individual who talked to them. And Allah guided them. Like, be careful of the things you're saying. You didn't guide anyone. Allah guides whoever he wills. Um, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we have, of course, sometimes you have to tell people what you're doing. Of course, I'm not saying that. I'm just, you know, they, th they said these, these pillars are never going to crack until the day of judgment comes. They said the ship is never going to, no one can sink the ship. Even God can't sink the ship. And, you know, the waters of outside of the mighty Newfoundland sank the ship. <laughs> so like be careful be careful of the things that you say oh I'll, I'll never do something like that now, can you believe so and so so and so did such and such I would never do something like that there's actually a hadith the prophet sallam, said that if you someone who like looks down on their brother or sister for something that they did and they say this kind of stuff they won't die except they were tested by what they, what they were looking down on the other person it's a very scary hadith actually so Beware the maker of claims. Don't make claims. MashaAllah, I did this. MashaAllah, I did that. I'm so good. I'm so knowledgeable. For example, I have a principle. It's a very simple rule. If someone, I meet someone and they introduce themselves to me as Sheikh, that's the extent of our relationship. I say, Salaam Alaikum. Alaikum Salaam. I'm Jamal. I'm Sheikh so and so. Okay, good to meet you. That's the end of that relationship. Uh, just, uh, not good. Not good stuff. May Allah guide us. May Allah guide us. Calling people scholars. So and so is a scholar. Like so and so's. Inshallah, they're a good, righteous person who's sincere and not judging them in any sort of way. But so-and-so is 22 years old and they've been studying for six years. How are they a scholar? And it's not, it doesn't make sense, you know? Um, like SubhanAllah, when you, you see a scholar, you, you, you'll know, believe me. Like study a little bit of deen 
You have to have that first. If you don't have that, you can't know because everything is the same to you. But if you study a little bit, you'll know a scholar when you see them. Uh, you know, they spent, in, it's like one of our teachers in Egypt used to tell us, uh, he was subhanAllah. I'll give you an example. This is a good example. The Shaykh, he was 39, I believe it was, when we met him. He had written a number of books and different things. He didn't publish any of them because he said, I don't want to punish it, publish anything until I reach the age of 40. Because the age of 40 is the age when the prophets will be given their missions. I don't want to publish anything before the age of 40. The Sheikh himself was allowed by the scholars in Egypt, not in like Southern California, Madish. I mean, we love Southern California, but in, in Egypt to sit and give fatwa when he was 22. Right? He's like, I'm not going to publish anything. He, he, he was like the researcher for all these TV shows, famous TV shows. He's the one who's doing all the research on who are the people, all this information, so on and so forth. And sometimes we had a couple of chances to read with him and then he would say, go and find the teachers that their hair is gray. That's who you should sit with. Of course, we're in Cairo, you have a choice. You have, you can, there's thousands of scholars, literally. So you can go and find someone whose hair is gray and sit with them. But, you know, just on principle, you know, on principle. Uh, that's why I said, oh, what are we doing in the message? We're just reading books together. We have some books, we read them together. Inshallah, we benefit. Uh, Fuad is here. And alhamdulillah. And inshallah, we bring, what do we always try to do? We try to bring the people we want to learn from. So inshallah, those days will come back and we can bring them and can do selfish things like invite people we want to listen to and then everyone can benefit, inshallah. So beware the maker of claims. Beware the maker of claims. There were jinn calling out and dazzling lights as truth was manifested in both word and reality. As truth was manifested in both word and reality. So this is basically saying that the jinn were acknowledging that something had happened. This is in the unseen. How can there's many things in the unseen we don't know about them? We know about them from narrations. Um, huge sidebar, but there, you know, Subhanallah, you'll see things in popular culture, in fantasy books, in cartoons, that hint at certain things that we might believe. Right? Like we don't, we don't know from the unseen except what the Prophet told us. Or from what Allah gave to someone that He chose from His servants, uh, you know, like the du'a the Prophet says, du'a about Allah, we ask you by every name that is yours, that you've revealed in your book, or that you gave to one of your servants. Because maybe someone knows the name of Allah, Allah gave it to them. I don't know, right? But there's things that people know, and they, Allah will unveil to them certain things from the unseen. Allah can do that. We don't act upon it because that's for them. It's for them specifically. We can only act on what we have in Revelation. But they might have them. So what's the strange sidebar? The jinn are talking and they're giving this news and stuff. The strange sidebar is we're watching Avatar. Uh, Last Airbender. The Aang one, right? And I was like, oh, that was the scene I was looking for. There's a scene. Uncle Iroh. For any of you who are not familiar with Avatar, you can go watch it. Uncle Iroh is a great sheikh in Avatar. The sheikhs in Avatar are the Order of the White Lotus. In case anyone, if you haven't watched it yet, 
These are good spoilers, it's okay. You've already watched it, now you know. The sheikhs and avatar are the order of the white lotus. And they have certain knowledge that they keep and other people get to know it sometimes. And they have upright character and so on and so forth. And you see from Iroh actually that he's like the grand sheikh of the order of the white lotus. We learned that what time. And um, so there's a scene that we were watching. It's the episode some of you may remember where they go to this town and the forest outside the town was burned and stuff. And the avatar is like really upset. And then there's like the spirit that comes at night and kidnaps people and destroys the town and stuff. They're trying to figure out what's going on. So eventually uh, Aang, he stumbles his way into the spirit realm. Okay. He stumbles his way into the Malakut, to use our terminology. He's in the Mulk, he stumbles his way into the Malakut. How do you do that? Don't ask me. It's above my pay grade, uh, so to speak. Although there's no pay grade for such things. Uh, so he stumbles his way into the Malakut. And he's trying to figure out how he can you know, figure out the situation. He's riding on the dragon in the spirit realm. And then it cuts to Uncle Iroh, Uncle Sheikh Iroh who has been kidnapped by these earthbenders while he was taking a bath. And he's riding on the animal and he's chained up. And all of a sudden in the spirit realm, the dragon goes across and Iroh sees it. No one else sees it, but he saw it. How they knew that this is real, I don't know. Probably some like, again, people learn things over time, but some people are like that. You see it in the, and you read the books of Muslim history, you'll find stories after stories after stories of Sheikh so-and-so who like knew that this was gonna happen before it happened. Sheikh so-and-so who saw angels. Sheikh so-and-so who saw the Prophet in a waking state. Can you see the Prophet while you're awake or not? Now everyone knows you can see the Prophet when you're dreaming, but whole books have been written about, can you see him when you're awake or not? These are not things you like have to believe in. Okay, so if it feels funny to you, just forget it. It's okay. So now you don't have to believe in it. I'm saying Uncle Iroh saw the dragon in the waking state. He saw he got a glimpse into the spirit realm while he was awake. It's unseen. The jinn are carrying the news. This is the point why I'm bringing it up, right? The jinn are carrying the news that something happened. Something major happened. The people who are talking to the jinn in Arabia and all this kind of stuff, they're getting news from their jinn that something went down. That was the birth of the Prophet. The next verse talks about this as well. With um, Actually, there's all kinds of stories of Ibn Ajiba mentions here of people who had dreams that turned out to indicate that the Prophet was coming, and like people who were sorcerers and they knew this information and so on. So we'll just leave it. Americans don't like this stuff, usually. So we'll just leave it. And especially people in California, certain parts of California, I should say, and certain points in history. Don't like this stuff. So we'll just keep They were blind and deaf, so the glad tidings proclaimed went unheard, and the warning lightning flash was not seen. Um, the major thing here is just um, to seek refuge in Allah from being deaf and blind. May Allah, may Allah not make us from those who are definitely born. Um, they have hearts that they don't understand with. 
the, the eyes, the, it's not that the eye actually goes blind. It's that the heart goes blind. And so the eye cannot see what's right in front of it. Or the heart goes deaf. So the ear can't hear what's right in front of it. And this is why in the beginning I emphasized this point about the heart has to be part of the learning process. You know, you've had that before, right? Where you, you hear something and you're like, SubhanAllah, I've heard this a thousand times. You know, I've heard this since I was a kid, but somehow when it happened on that day, like the person said it, and then it really resonated and I, it, it finally clicked for me, right? It, finally, it was the same thing, but the heart wasn't receptive to it. And so there was a level of blindness and deafness, so to speak. Oh, thank you. So the heart is blind and then it makes it so the eyes don't see. And that, like everything else, goes back to the same principles that we've repeated 746,822 times in the Majlis, which is that you first have to know true knowledge. This is the absolute standard by which anything is judged. Nobody's eloquence, their charisma, their popularity, their ability to buy followers on social media, none of these things are actual determinants for truth. The actual determinants for truth are real knowledge. We have objective truth in Islam. We have a Quran, we have the Sunnah of the Prophet we have a scholarly tradition that makes it very clear to us where the areas of agreement are, where the areas of disagreement are, so on and so forth. We, these things don't get overstepped. That's the first step. But the second step is to gain an awareness of ourselves, to delve into the depths of the soul, to purify it, to rectify it, to get rid of bad qualities, to inculcate good qualities, so that we can see true when it's in front of us, and we can see false when it's in front of us. And this is the dua, you know, that's very important. Allahumma erinan haqqa haqqan, haqqan wa zuqqan attiba'a, wa erinan dautan dautan wa zuqqan attiba'a. Oh Allah, show us truth as truth, and give us the sustenance, the rizq. Give us the rizq, the, pro the provision to be able to follow it. And show us falsehood as falsehood, and give us the ability to stay away from it. Show us truth as truth and give us the ability to follow it and show us falsehood as falsehood and give us the ability to stay away from it. Uh, so all of these things go together. We have to have true knowledge and we have to have, our hearts have to come alive. And then those, then our eyes and our ears become that which, by which we see, which ties us back to the famous Hadith Qudsi where the Prophet Wasallam taught us that Allah said, that the servant does not draw closer to me by anything that is more beloved to me than that which I have obligated upon them. And if they do that, and then after that, they do the optional things until I become beloved to them. No, until I love them, the other way around, until I love them. And when I love them, I become the eye by which they see and the ear by which they hear and the foot by which they walk. And it's Allah saying that, right? So what happened then is the person had sound knowledge and they acted upon it. And that led to a certain level of rectification internally 
that allowed them to see truth as truth, that the heart becomes alive. One of the great truths, for example, and it's very hard to keep. I fidget a lot because quite frankly, I don't have the kind of body that does well with sitting on the ground. So I'm in somewhat a certain amount of pain. Uh, but inshallah, we're going to get through it. Um, I'm a weirdo. A little bit of pain is good. Um, so uh, what was I saying? Ah, one of the great truths that's hard to keep in mind is that good people do exist. This is especially difficult truth for people who have been burned before. All kinds of things that we've been hurt by. All kinds of things that we've been hurt by. Usually people. People are the easiest thing to get hurt by. Trust in them and they disappoint you. They break your heart. And when they break your heart, then there's no more good people. And then... Eventually, we get over that hurt, and we accept that there's someone who's good, and we look up to them, and we hold them in high regard, and then they break our heart, and then there's no more good people. And eventually, we have to learn this lesson. How do we manage this? And how do we, that's why everything, you know, we put so much emphasis on learning. Because learning is the means by which you gain that level of independence. If I really know the Prophet I know the standard now. I don't care what the person's title is. I don't care who they think they are. I don't care who people think they are. I know who the Prophet was. And I know his Sharia. And now I don't have, you know, I can temper my love for them. And if they break my heart, they might. You know, people, people are people. They might break my heart. But there's still the Prophet And the Prophet still told us that there will be people who are true and right and good until the end of times. And we will still make the dua, Oh Allah, give me the, give me the company of the people who you love. Because there's nothing better. Still, no matter what, there's still nothing better. And oftentimes we'll find that they're not like, uh, they're the simple people, you know? I, I always think of this one uncle, SubhanAllah, here in Southern California, the uncle, you know? I won't give certain details because it might give it away, but the uncle, uh, would always be on Salat in the masjid. And he was a physician, made good money, wore very simple clothes. His home was just enough to buy the home so he can take care of his family. There's nothing in the house. It's just like we need the shelter. There's very little in the house. He passed away. They go to his closet. There's like nothing in his closet. He has almost zero possessions. Always in the masjid. Always is like, like the kind of person you read about in the old books. Right? But he's a physician. <laughs> he's always living and doing his thing. Uh, shortly before he died, it may have even been the night before. Can't remember right now. Uh, Sheikh Mohammed Baik, happy the whole was very close with him. 
he contacted Sheikh Mamman, he told him, if you get a call, you know, it might be in the middle of the night, and it He told him, you might get a call. It might be two in the morning, three in the morning before Fajr. And you'll hear that I passed away. And if you get that call, then I want you to know my, my desire. My desire is that the people who memorize the book of Allah and the ulama, the Hufad and the ulama are the ones that wash my body. And you bury me the same day. You get the call before Fajr. The scholars and the people of knowledge and the Hufad of the Quran, they wash my body, you bury me the same day. A day or two later, he got the call in the middle of the night. said, Uncle so-and-so passed away. And, you know, he said, okay, I know his wish. We'll be there. Let's wash the body. We went immediately. Washed the body. They prayed. They, they buried him that day. Was he someone that, like, everyone knew? No. Many of you know him, by the way. Many of you know his children, especially people in my generation. Um, but was he someone that, like, I would believe that you go to him, you ask him to make dua, his dua would be answered, yeah. So they're not always like, you know, but open your minds, pray to find the people of Allah. Allah will guide you to his people. So may we not have hearts that are blind. May we not have hearts that are blind. This was supposed to be the quick commentary. <laughs> Oh, wow, it's late. Even after the soothsayers had informed their peoples that their crooked religion would not endure, and even after their eyes saw meteors on the horizon plunging downwards as idols were toppled on earth. So basically all these signs were coming. People were not taking heed. They were not taking heed. But these were all signs that accompanied the birth of the Prophet. The birth of the Prophet, of course, is up there in the top two or three most important things that ever happened in human history. Right? is competing with the birth of the Prophet, but it's up there. Um, so one of the things that we can try to do is to reenact those moments at some level. We can try to reenact those moments at some level. Two momentous occasions. One of them is the birth of the Prophet and one of them is the beginning of the revelation. Obviously, we're not going to give birth to the Prophet. So what does this mean? Prophet said in a hadith that is disputed, but is okay. Uh, the one who brings my sunnah, my way to life, and they have brought me to life. So we can read, you know, we can learn from the sunnah of the Prophet. You can make it really simple. 
So Sunnah of the Prophet to smile at people. It's hard for me. I try. Everyone tells me you should smile more. I'm like, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> Again, like it's not a problem. Um, to say salam to people is a sunnah of the Prophet To ask about those who you're used to seeing and you don't see anymore is a sunnah of the Prophet You take any of these things and do them. And you brought the Prophet send them back to life, metaphorically speaking. The other one is the beginning of the revelation. Of course, like every moment that we engage with the revelation, we're bringing that into life as well. So you, it's a reenactment of that moment. It's not, a, it's not a small thing. To read the Quran is not a small thing. It's a big thing. And to keep the Qur'an alive, to keep the chains of narration of the Qur'an alive, to properly learn how to recite the Qur'an properly from people who spent their life trying to learn to recite the Qur'an properly is a big, big deal. It's not a... You know, this is one thing we can honestly say. There are many things, of course. But the science of Tajweed and how to read the Qur'an properly is something that we can really, truly say. Like, when you learn this, you're reciting the Qur'an the way the Prophet recited the Qur'an. I just think about that. Like, I just pronounced the Ra, which is really hard to do, the way the Prophet pronounced the Ra, or the Seen, or the Sa'd, or I gave it this particular intonation, and I put some emphasis here. And like, in doing so, I did what the Prophet did. And I'm preserving his way. You know, like Maryam is here, Hafidhahullah. Uh, and her, you know, her father, Sheikh Abdullah, is a, a great teacher of the Quran. And he always said, he always pushes this point. Like it's okay, like work hard at it because you're trying to do exactly what the Prophet them did. It's not like it's not something cheap, right? Like Sheikh said, he recited Surah Al Fatiha to his Sheikh for three months. <laughs> Fatiha. Three months of the Fatiha. Until you get the Fatiha right. Yeah. Uh, still, I've been reading with Sheikh Abdullah for a year now. He, I, still read, I still read the Fatiha to him every week. <laughs> every week he's like, start with the Fatiha. You start with the Fatiha. Alhamdulillah, like, Shantish. He did all right. Yeah, it's Itqan. It's Itqan Institute. He, yeah, he's... Sheikh Ibrahim is the same. Hafidhullah. Many of you study with Sheikh Ibrahim. Sheikh Ibrahim is mutqin. Uh, again, like if, if you don't know something, you don't know. Like not every hafid is mutqin. Not every hafid is, is is precise in their in their recitation. Not everyone like they're not all the same. Uh, so Sheikh Ibrahim Hafidullah is very good. And his Sheikh is very good. His Sheikh is a direct student of Sheikh Ibn Sawaid. Hafidhullah uh, is from like, the top reciters of the Quran in the world. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying this right now, but the Prophet وسلم, and him bringing, bringing him to life وسلم, and reciting the Quran properly. Allah give us tawfiq. Until devils routed from the path of revelation fled in the wake of those who had been overpowered. So this is uh, you know, a reference to Surah Al-Jinn. Um, 
and uh, this idea that the jinn were overpowered by the revelation. They were uh, We used to sit and like eavesdrop basically on the news of the of the unseen until this Quran was revealed and then they were repelled. كأنهم هربا أبطال أبرهة أو عسكر من حصى من راحتيه رمي نبذا به بعد تسبيح ببطنه ما نبذ المسبح من أحشاء ملتقي fleeing like the brave warriors of Abraha or the army pelted by pebbles thrown by his hand cast by him after glorifying Allah in the palm of his hand as he who glorified his Lord was cast from the way. Look at the timing on that one. I'm sure you guys have seen the news. Uh, so they fled. The devils were, they fled. Uh, again, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to accept the reality of the unseen. Some of our, uh, a very prominent teacher, his wife was saying to us, she's like, I don't envy you guys. The era that you're growing up in is different than the era we grew up in. Shayateen are just like out of control now. Uh, the whole thing is like gone bonkers. Sometimes they're like, oh, I don't know about this stuff. Like, it's a slippery slope. I'll just put it that way. It's a slippery slope. If you reject things that are established in the unseen from the hadith of the Prophet them from the Quran, it's a slippery slope. Next thing that's going is the Quran itself, is the hadith itself. It's one thing to say like, I don't understand. I don't know what that is. Like, it's fine. All of that is fine. But to reject it is a different thing. Um... There are angels. Why do we start with dhikr? There are angels. The angels descend upon the gatherings wherein Allah is remembered. And they take the names of the people who mention the name of Allah up to Allah or to Allah. And they tell Allah, so-and-so is remembering you. And Allah mentions the name of that person in his gathering, subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's from the unseen. There's angels. Like the, the actual narration is the angels so one of the narrations is the angels are so plentiful in the gatherings that they make like a corridor between the earthly realm and the, the realm of the heavens. And there's, it's like it's freeway. It's a, it's a freeway into the spiritual realm and they take that knowledge to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, he already knows. Do you see them? Maybe some of you do. Don't tell us if you do because I want you to keep seeing them. Uh, I don't see them, but we believe that they're there. Shayateen are real. Yeah, shaitan is real. I don't see shaitan. I see the effects of shaitan sometimes. Like sometimes there's just anger that doesn't make any sense. Sometimes there's frustration that has no cause. Sometimes a child is really upset. It just so happens to be after the child was in front of 500 people. There's unseen issues here. So read, don't freak out about it. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, we have Quran, we have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just read Ayatul Kursi, read the three pools, read you know basic things for protection, but know that this stuff is real. Okay? These things are real. We have to protect ourselves. We just as we take physical means of protection, we should also take spiritual means of protection. And uh, we don't shy away from something because we're afraid of these things. Like, um, I think that was maybe to Muslim shared memory bank, you know. 
but like one time there was a question posed to a person of knowledge about something like this you know should i do something or other it's going to be like so much potential for hasid and whatever and the sheikh was like you put your armor on and you go to battle i was like i like that <laughs> like it's not this is this is our principle like we don't just shy away from things that need to get done because because we're scared of it or something right so Allah, Allah is Khaliq samawati He's the creator of everything in existence. This is the Prophet who is the most courageous man to ever exist. Like the line that's, we already passed it in the board where he's praising the Prophet and he says, you see the Prophet and you feel from him as if you're standing in front of a whole army. Because this is Heba. Right? So this is, we're, we're on someone's deen. If we're on the deen of the Prophet we don't shy away from these things. You have to fight jihad. You obviously know what that means. Hopefully the FBI knows what that means too. <laughs> but you know, we can't have this like jihad-free Islam. We can't. Like, there is jihad. Sometimes it might be in person. Some, most of the time it's going to be like in your everyday jihad. Like I really don't need that extra sugar packet in my coffee. It's a jihad. It is a jihad of its own sorts. I don't need to take that extra sleep. I don't need to buy this extra thing. And believe it's a big jihad because all of the greatest minds in the world are conspiring to get you to do it. So it's not a small jihad either. But like this is, you know, we put our armor on. We don't worry about these things in the unseen too much that it paralyzes us. You put your armor on, believe that you put armor on. Again, going back to like these cartoons and stuff, right? Like every time I see a cartoon where they have something, a magic spell or whatever, and then they have this power and they put up like a shield. I'm like, Allahu Akbar. They did their ayats of Kursi. But they put their shield up. Or like, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I say this in the name of Allah, by whose name no harm can be caused in the heavens and the earth. And he is the Sunnah. These are the two du'as from the Sunnah of the Prophet They give protection in the morning and the evening. Ayat of Kursi gives protection in the morning and the evening. It's like I have to go out into the world. I have to do what I have to do. You have a lot of work to do in the day. Right? But in the night, you have your armor, you can put on your armor. You can make this dhikr, put on the armor. Alhamdulillah, we have a religion. Alhamdulillah, we have a religion. There's all these things in the unseen. You don't know what to do about them. If it wasn't for that the Prophet told you, like, okay, there's these things that are there. You don't see them. Put your armor on. Here's your armor. I'll tell you what it is. It's super easy. Bismillah. And you go about your business, right? Allah make his people of jihad. It was very important hadith of the Prophet where he said that the person who uh, has in their heart the desire to die as a shaheed, to die as a martyr, they die, they can die as a martyr even in their bed. They die even in their bed. They just even they die in their sleep, they have the, the rank of the martyr. But they want to be the person who stands up for what is true. And if that means that their life gets lost in that, then their life gets lost in that. I shouldn't have to make this disclaimer, but for the sake of the FBI, I'll make this disclaimer. Like, obviously, that's not some false idiot people and their interpretations of what jihad is. So, like, actual jihad. Another indicator that you're on the wrong way is if no old people are on your way. Okay? Like, if you're, on, if you're in, like, a thing and there's nobody with gray hair, it's a problem. I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, my God, is there anyone with gray hair? Uncle Charlie is still there. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
uh, but like a bunch of young people who are just like, you know, they're going to fix all the problems of the Ummah and like everyone's under 30. So you shouldn't even pay for your own food. You're going to fix the problems of the Ummah. <laughs> I mean, it's good to have good intention, but like, anyways, Allah make his people a jihad. What am I even saying? Fleeing like the brave warriors of Abraha or the army pelted by pebbles thrown by his hand, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That the Prophet وسلم, had pebbles in his hand, they, they, they praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he threw them. And they caused defeat against the army that they were fighting. Same thing in the right before the Hijra, right? When the people came together to try to assassinate the Prophet وسلم, and he threw some dust and their vision was blocked. I forget the verse right now, but through through some dust, uh Surah Yasin, right? We made, you know, we made this barrier between us and them, and we put it in front of them, so now they can't see. I heard a story, subhanAllah. You think that all of these things are fairy tales, probably. I heard a story. I'm pretty sure the person who told me it was there, but I can't can confirm that detail or not. Of the war in Afghanistan, or the jihad in Afghanistan. Even the Americans used to call it a jihad and the Mujahideen against the Soviets. And uh, a group of people who were in a cave, there were a bunch of tanks coming. They were, clearly they were out, out positioned, right? There's like a handful of people in a cave, all these tanks, like ostensibly, you're gonna die. So one of the people in the group, he took some dirt in his hand and he recited the verse and he threw it and they just left. Nobody saw them, they went about their way. <laughs> <laughs> cast by him after glorifying Allah in the palm of his hand and he as he who glorified his Lord was cast from the whale Sayyidina Yunus probably saw the story in the news this week of the guy in Maine the lobster man yeah. is there any like uh, napkin are there napkins over there you just get me a couple before I have to use my sock to save the rug. Um, he, the guy was, he says he was swallowed by the whale. Because you can look it up. Thank you. He says he was swallowed by a whale and then he was like chilling out inside and he started to like resist. And then uh, the whale spit him out. SubhanAllah. But we believe in these things without these news stories, right? We don't want to be the kind of people who like, we don't believe in anything in Islam until we get an article that claims that there was some sort of academic research that showed that honey cures things and it has antibacterial properties and so on and so forth and whatever. And like now I believe that honey is shifa. No, honey is shifa because Allah said honey is shifa. And you should find research to support it. Good. This also mentions the story of the elephant. We won't get into the story of the elephant. Maybe we will. This is the end of this chapter. I'll say one thing about the story of the elephant. It's not related so much to the detail of the story of the elephant as to the principle of the way that the Prophet interacted with the story. And please keep this in mind as a response to the all-endearing question of why is this relevant? My advice is, 
Do not study Islam from the perspective of why is this relevant. Study Islam from the perspective of this is our religion. We're inheriting it from the people that came before us. And this is the knowledge of the Prophet and what he left for us. And this is why I want to know it. If I understand why it's immediately relevant, alhamdulillah. If I don't see why this piece of information is immediately relevant, alhamdulillah. It doesn't mean that it's irrelevant. An ajla min shaitan min iman. To have like a little bit of patience is from iman. To be hasty is from shaitan. Be patient. It might benefit you. It was passed down for a thousand years for a reason. Okay, so what happens in the story of the elephant that we learned from the Prophet The short of it, you know the long of it. The army comes to Mecca, the year of the Prophet's birth. The army comes to Mecca with the intent to destroy the Kaaba. Within that army, Abraha is the general. Within that army, there's a couple of elephants. And this is like a big deal, right? But they get to just outside the outskirts of Mecca. And as they're trying to push the army into Mecca to go and destroy the Kaaba, the elephant won't move. They hit the elephant, the elephant won't go forward. They turn the elephant back to Yemen. Elephant's like, Bismillah, it'll walk. Turn it towards the Kaaba, it won't move. Okay? Think about your life. Right? Sometimes you're trying to do something, it won't move. You turn it another way, it moves. Turn it another way, it moves. Try to go back that way, it doesn't move. <laughs> You're not going that way. <laughs> it's not going that way. So, Abraha, the elephant won't go. Fine, you know the story, everything else. The birds come, destroy the army. Prophet Sison, it's in the year of the Prophet Sison's birth. So, the year of the Prophet Sison's birth is now marked by a major event. Everybody knows what it is. So, what happens in the time of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah? Now we're going to fast forward. So from the year of the Prophet Sallallahu birth, Treaty of Hudaybiyah is in what year? Uh, probably like, yeah, like six, seven years after the beginning of the revelation. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, after the Hijra, after the Hijra. So, so we're, the Prophet Sallallahu is almost, is probably in his mid-50s to 60, okay? And this incident of the elephant happened in the year of his birth. He wasn't even there. He just knows the story. He didn't say, oh, why is this story relevant? Army, field, you know, birds. You guys telling these fairy tales again. We need a modern interpretation. Probably the birds dropped some sort of uh, coronavirus. And then that <laughs> virus infected the army and they died. <laughs> you know? None of that was there. Prophet knows the story. They go to the Hudaybiyah. They're going to march towards Mecca. The Prophet Sallallahu camel stops going. They say, the people say, the Prophet is so beautiful. Every time I think of this story, I'm like, so beautiful. They said, she's basically misbehaving. Prophet's camel, she's refusing to take orders. The Prophet said, she is not doing that. He, he like defended his camel. He's like, she is not disobeying, and that's not the way that she is. Subhanallah. And because she wouldn't move. And then he said, What? This is the point. Habisun 
Rather, the one who held the elephant is the one who was holding her. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is amazing. This is really, if you think about it, this is really amazing. There, there's a story in his archive, his mental spiritual archive. And an incident happens, and he's able to immediately see the connection between that incident and the story that happened in the past that he didn't even witness. But he sees the connection and is able to make the right conclusion. So this is one thing about, this is, a, this is my only point about the story of the elephant. So there's, this is part of why history is important. You know history, you see, like, okay, this happened before, this happened before, I can see it. I can see this pattern. Pattern is familiar. You don't have to respond in this way. This is why older people usually have better character than younger people. Because their personal history is longer. They've actually seen more. It's not because young people are bad or something. But because you just haven't seen it. So you haven't seen it, you can't, you don't have the same archive to work with. Um, and this is why there's a there's a method proverb. I can't remember it right now, but basically the point of it is that like the person who studies history, uh, I think it goes something like this. The one who has history in their heart. They add years to their life. So they're older than, they, they have a lot more than what they would have normally had because they got that knowledge. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us and to accept us. We're grateful to you, Ya Allah. We're grateful to you, Ya Allah, for the ability to meet again. We're grateful to you, Ya Allah, that we live in one of the most beautiful geographic locations in the entire world. But we can come here in this time of day and the, it was hot, but like the, the heat breaks. And that we can sit in the shade and enjoy one another's company again. We ask you Allah to forgive us of our shortcomings, to accept from us our deeds. We ask you Allah to fulfill the needs of everyone in this gathering and everyone who was in this gathering and everyone who intended to be in this gathering and the loved ones and the near ones and everyone. Fulfill everyone's needs, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, We ask you Ya Allah to be with us in this life and the next. To give us aid and indik. To give us aid and support from you, Ya Allah. We ask you Allah to make us people of dhikr, to make us people of shukr, to make his people of worship. We ask you, Allah, to forgive us of our shortcomings and to conceal from others our faults. We ask you, Ya Allah, and we recognize, Ya Allah, as Sayyidina ibn Al-Ta'ala said, that anytime someone sees anything beautiful in us, all they see is the beauty of the concealment that you have put upon us, Ya Allah. We ask you, Allah, to conceal the bad and to let the good shine through and to forgive us of our shortcomings. Amen. We ask you, Allah, to reward everyone who came and everyone who brought snacks and food and everything else, we ask you, Allah, to make these gatherings, gatherings wherein you are praised, and gatherings wherein your messenger is praised, and gatherings wherein hearts are turned back to you. And we ask you, Allah, that you turn to us so that we may turn to you. We ask you, Allah, to give us new, in every single moment, a new opening with you and a new journey towards you. And we ask you to protect our families. Allahumma ameen. If there's any questions, comments anyone has, number one. Number two, in case you're new, we have an open door policy. You come whenever you want, you leave whenever you want. If it's getting too long for you, if it's getting, just leave. No hard feelings, nobody's going to be upset. And you come late, come late, leave early, leave early, show up for five minutes throw some snacks on the table, say salam, walk out. It's all good. Whatever you want to do, it's all good. Nobody's going to be like, 
Oh, look at that person. They came and then they left early. They didn't even make the closing du'a. We're trying not to be ugly, judgmental people. May Allah protect us from being like that. Amen. Yes. question. This is point number one. You know, it's in uh, Surah Al-Jin. That Allah is the knower of the unseen. He doesn't give his unseen to anyone except whom he chooses from messengers. Okay. Uh, this is number one. Number two is that there are dreams. There are true dreams. If nothing else, there are true dreams. And that's, you know, known from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So people can get that kind of information in dreams. Is it true? Is it not true? Can we make rulings from it? All that kind of stuff? No. It might be their own personal thing or whatever. Or they might be misinterpreting. It might actually be shaitan. There's a million different possibilities. So we don't make too much out of it. But there are true dreams. And like my wife has witnessed actually a shab, a young person who, who had true dreams. And his dream came true in front of the people. Like it was a, uh, it was a camp, long story short, it was a camp and his sister had an allergy, brother and sister in the camp. His sister had an allergy. And if she, if, I think it was like meat related. If she gets it, she's gonna choke. It's really serious. So they're really careful about it all throughout the camp. And then all of a sudden, at one of the meal times, she starts to choke. And he comes over like very calmly. Her brother comes very calmly, checks on her, talks to her. She turns out to be okay, takes her back to her cabin. The whole time he's really calm. And he asks her like, Allah <laughs> protect us. He asks her like, were you speaking ill of somebody? Were you thinking bad about somebody? Like, turns out there was an incident, whatever. But then she asked him, like, you're my brother. Shouldn't you be scared and everything else? Like, I almost died. What's the situation? And he told her, he's like, no, actually, last night I had a dream that all of us were in this hall. And we were sitting in the hall. And you started to have this issue. And people came over to you and they helped you. And I came over to you calmly and I helped you. And then you went to your room and everything was okay. And because I've had dreams like that before, I could recognize that when this happened, that it, what was happening. So I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, Allahu Alam. But the Prophet did tell us that the one thing that remains from revelation, from God's communication to human beings, after that last Prophet, is true dreams. And, uh, even in the time of the Prophet, there's narrations that he used to sit after Fajr, he would pray Fajr, he would turn around and ask them, did anyone have a dream? And he would interpret for them. That being said, a lot of dreams are not true. A lot of dreams are nafsani, a lot of dreams are shaitani. Like, be careful. Sometimes you're like, oh, I had this dream. I'm like, be very careful. Be very careful.
So, you know, show you show. Yeah, the hadith also, I think we talked about that like a couple of sessions ago in the, uh, in the Burda, because there's a line that talks about firasat. Beware of the spiritual inside of the believer because they look with the light of Allah. It's an authentic hadith. You find really long commentaries on it in the books of hadith. Uh, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu that the Prophet said, in the nations before you, there were muhaddathun. There were muhaddathun. And if there's one from my ummah, then it's Sayyidina Umar. There are people who are spoken to. Literally, it means they're spoken to there. And they give always in the story of that, uh, Sadia, that when Sayyidina Umar was in, in Medina, and all of a sudden he started to yell to Sadia, who was his army general, who was far in like Sham. I think it was in Sham. It was far. He told him, Ya Sariya and Jabal, Ya Sariya and Jabal. They were like, what are you doing? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I saw in front of me the army, and I saw him, and I was telling him, go this way behind the mountain, and you'll be able to like use this as a, as a method, and you'll win the battle. And then time passed, and Sariya came back with the army to Medina, and they asked him, they're like, what happened? He's like, yeah, we were in the middle of the battle, and this was going on, and then like, I heard Sayyidina Omar's voice, and he told me about the mountain. So we went on our, we went to the mountain and this and that, and we won the battle. How do you understand it? Other than these are people, Allah gives them some sort of insight. You know, Allah can do it. But again, be very careful with this. Because very shaitani people will use this too. They'll come and they'll say, like, oh, you know, I had this dream that. You, know, you should be my 14th wife. And, you, know, you should be like, or even more like direct. Maybe they say second wife, and it's like actually, perhaps there's some Sharia ways. Of, people will do this kind of stuff. I had this dream that you should divorce your wife because X, Y, Z, because they want to marry your wife. Or I had this dream that like you were really doing good with Allah, except that you weren't giving enough charity. And Bismillah, Mashallah, you know where. 501c3 registered nonprofit IRS will give you. Really, people do this. So that's why I said, like, matters of the unseen, you have to judge them by the Sharia. You have to judge them by your aql. Don't throw your mind away. Don't throw the Sharia away. Take all this stuff with a big grain of salt, knowing that there are many uh, false things out there. But again, just because there's many false things doesn't mean that there aren't actually true ones.
Yeah. How is that? <clears throat> Good some conversation around some of the details of what that looks like, so on and so forth, whatever. But let's just keep it very general. That this, let's just go with this idea existing. Exist in the time of the Prophet There's a reason why they called him Sahid. It wasn't just like, you know, that sounds like a cool word. There was an understanding of magic in that time. There's understandings of things like in Africa, up to today, West Africa, like we've been to West Africa been told stories about things that go down. Um, so let's just go with Sihar Zuhid. There are, so the thing that you should not do is go to an actual magician to seek healing for magic. That's the thing that one cannot do. Um, the thing that one could do is go to some sort of sheikh or righteous person who has knowledge of these things, which as far as I understand is like a very specialized knowledge um, and seek their aid in it. And they might give you like certain things to recite. There are hadith on this, by the way, in case people are, there are hadith on this topic of like reciting certain things as protection to this type of stuff. Um, and they might give the person something to recite and, that, that could prove to be beneficial. Yeah. It's okay. The problem is, like, is the person you're going to trustworthy or not? You know? And there's, again, a lot of charlatans in this realm. People make a lot of money off this. You, know? you come to me, I'll heal you from this. You've been having a really hard time. You give me $1,000, I'll give you this treatment. And you know, they see a couple patients in a month, patients. They make a lot of money. So, again, there's things that are there in the sunnah uh, that are very clear that usually <clears throat> deal with most cases. Like one time I was, there's a sheikh who apparently he has knowledge of these things. Someone came and they were like, I have this case. He's like, look, go back, stay in wudu, pray your five prayers on time, read ayatul kursi in the morning and the evening, read three pulls in the morning and the evening, vast majority of cases are taken care of with this. Sometimes there's a really extreme case that needs something else, but most cases are taken care of with that. There's a nice set also called the Menzin. You can find it online, the Menzin. It's like a set of verses from the Quran that you can read for these kind of things. It's all Quran, so you don't have to be like, what is this? It's, it's all Quran. Um, yes, Mary. Life's changed, and I have an apartment now, and I have all this stuff. 
I know that I just want to make sure, like, like, does that take you out of your stuff totally? I, I don't do that at all. I was just wondering, like, what is really happening? How are these people chanting and manifesting or whatever what they want? We know that's not from the God's beliefs. Out of understanding, yeah. Um, well, first of all, we should we shouldn't do it, like you said, just to be clear. Um, Yeah. The deen. This is a matter of deen. It really is. Um, uh, the most likely explanation, which is probably not the one that people, I don't know, it depends on Southern California issue are. But, um, and this is why the Sharia matters. Even when it comes to miracles, by the way, they say, oh, so and so did this miracle, you know, like they saw a cat. The cat looked hungry, and then like some food appeared for the cat. Like they're such a great shape, and you're like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure like I saw that guy drinking alcohol in the like, parking lot the other day. Like, there's Sharia. Sharia matters. Sharia matters. Even with miracles, just because something miraculous happens doesn't mean that it was a sign for that person. Because there's a difference between the ulama. They always talk about the difference between something that's a karama and something that's istidraj. Karama is something, it's a karama, it's a karamak, gave you this thing as a, as a blessing. And it's actually an extension of the miracles of the Prophet But istidraj is like something that Allah allows to happen, and it's meant to keep you misguided. There's a verse about it in the Quran when it comes to material wealth and stuff. That don't be deceived and upset about the non-believers having material wealth and all of these type of things, all of this stuff is just something Allah used to Allah is just delaying their punishment. Yeah. It's just delaying their punishment. So how do we understand it? This is not even this is not in line with the Sharia. Allah does whatever he wants in the material realms of the world, whatever he wants. If he wants to give some people something, he gives it to them. There is another possibility, although in this case, I'm a little bit less leaning towards it. If it was like maybe a, a very righteous Christian person, a very righteous Jewish person, so on, someone who like is a true believer, maybe they don't really understand Islam, but they're sincere and they're doing their best that they can with what they have. And they're doing something and they have some sort of miracles or they have some sort of gifts or whatever. It could be that Allah is just giving it to them. Yeah, it could be. In that case, I'm, you know, it's possible. Yeah. Very good to see you. Mashallah, Hasib, good to see you. Good to see the girls too. Mashallah. All right. Any other questions? There's snacks, there's coffee, there's tea. The coffee and the tea must be completely consumed by the time of departure. Is there any left over there? Yeah. So everyone make sure you finish it. Technically, our reservation ends at 8, but they're not going to kick us out. So we'll pray Maghrib, inshallah, together, anyone who wants to, and then we'll be on our way.